Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Our episode today is a crossover of our Football for All podcast, which we designed for your youth football community. If you are a high school coach who leads the youth program in his community, I think this is an important one for you. If you're a college coach, if you're a high school assistant, college assistant, it doesn't matter. I think this is important for our game, and we really would like you to take a listen to this. This is what we've been working on at USA Football, the football development model. And in this episode, I talk with our director of coaching education, Mike Kruger, about exactly what the football development model is and what it entails. Please take a listen and enjoy. I think it's highly informative about the work we've done, and I do believe, as I've said, that this is important that you push this to your youth football community. You take youth football, but then you fast forward 20 years. What that guy's going to remember 20 years after youth football are moments. We want kids who love football to have the opportunity to football. There's opportunities no matter your gender, no matter your race, no matter your background. There's no specific box. Looking at, you know, whether it's playing flight football or modified version of the game, I think it's so smart. We're shaping the whole person. We want to make sure that you're a successful person on and off the field. Positive football experiences so they keep playing and keep getting better. On today's Football for All podcast, we talk about reimagining how we coach, experience, and play football through the football development model. And joining me today is the Senior Director of Football Education from USA Football, Michael Kruger. Mike, it's great to have you here in our first episode of the Football for All podcast. Well, Keith, hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited about this new venture by our team at USA Football and really hoping that we can engage the audience of uh, stakeholders, not just across the youth landscape, but the high school landscape as well, and share a little bit about the excitement and, and what we've done and what we're promoting through the football development model. So thanks so much for kicking this off and for having me as your first guest. Absolutely, Mike. And we've been working on this now for a long time at USA Football. Uh, you've joined the process about midway through here, at least from when I started a little over three years ago. So for our listeners, I've talked about it on the Coaching Coordinator podcast, and I'm sure we have some people joining us who are listeners there as well. But for our listeners, give us an overview of what the football development model is. Yeah, Keith, thanks so much. You know, the model really stems from the, the American development model and some universal principles that were established by the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee about how to create successful experiences that will help grow participation and retention in the game, but it's based on principles of long-term athlete development. So they based those principles off some success that USA Ice Hockey was having with their American development model, and they adopted these principles that would help other national governing bodies. And so what we did, along with many other national governing bodies across the landscape of Olympic sport and non-Olympic sport, we grabbed onto those universal principles and said, how can we apply these to the sport of football, to our great game, and and do that while we prote protect the traditions of the sport of football. So we did that, and uh, as you mentioned, started way back. We start actually started with game types and looking at player development through game types, and that's where the creation of a modified game type like rookie tackle was created. 
And we kind of expanded from there. And that's uh, about the time that, that, as you mentioned, I came on a couple of years ago. And, and since that time, we took the great work that the team had done up to that point and continued to build upon it. And we really built out a framework for how the game is practiced, experienced, and played. And what I mean by framework is, is to think of it like a set of blueprints, how you might build a house. You don't just come together and start nailing some boards together and hope it turns out okay. The football development model really is a a framework or a set of blueprints for how we develop a player. And so we looked at that and we first, one of the first things we did is we came together and we worked on what our core values were and what is, what are, what we call our six pillars, which I think you and I'll talk about here in a little bit, but it really based it on these foundational principles of what do we want to get accomplished in the game when we think about the way we coach it, experience, and play it, and really build better players through their experience. And it and it ended up with the framework, what we ended up doing was really putting in and developing two main buckets. One of those buckets is the game types, as we talked about, where, you know, playing the game in a progressive manner where you might start in a non-contact game type, progressing to modified versions of the game type to then the full field traditional game. And that's one big bucket. The other bucket is the way that we learn and develop skills in a progressive, developmentally appropriate way to to learn the game of football. What are the core skills needed to be successful, not just as a football player, but also to develop you as an athlete so that you're engaged and you enjoy it and you stay with the game for a lifetime. And the six pillars really are the foundation of this, the foundation of the football development model. And we're going to talk about each of those individually here I'll go through and really just name all six, and then we'll touch on each one. So, so number one, we have whole person and multi-sport development. Two, physical literacy and skill development. Three, coach education and training. Four, multiple pathways and entry points. Five, fun and fulfilling. And six, participation and retention. So, Anything good has a solid foundation, and that's exactly what we've done here to build the football development model. And it starts with the first one being whole person and multi-sport development. So what do we mean by the whole person development, developing the whole child? Yeah, it's, it's exactly that, Keith. And, you know, we have what we call the football development model success pathway. And what that pathway looks like is in terms of development, we say we need to develop the human being, then the athlete, then the football player. And we need to do it in that order. If we just jump and start focusing on technique and scheme and just trying to develop the football player, we miss the development of, a, of athleticism. And what really is at the core of the foundation of a successful football player is a great athlete. Well, to get a great athlete, we also have to make sure we have a well-rounded human being, that they can't just embrace the technical and tactical aspects of the game that they're playing, but they need to be well-rounded. So we need to develop the whole human being. And along with that, we mean not just their technical and tactical expertise. So when I say, when our team says whole person development, I want you to use the context that we are really good in sport. In fact, across all sport, and, and we are good at this in football as well. And that is to embrace the responsibility we have to teach the tactical aspects of the game, the technical aspects of the game. So in other words, when a young person comes to our sport, they, they show up for practice on day one, we are committed to making sure that by the time that player leaves our programs and leaves the, at the end of the season, that we've tried to introduce the technical aspect of throwing. We want them to be able to throw. We want them to be able to catch. We want them to be able to run and block and tackle or pull a flag. We want to make sure they have those skills. 
And we're good at that in sport. We embrace that responsibility. What we struggle with a little bit is not so much is, is, is embracing how do we help them develop cognitively, socially, and emotionally. So, and, and here's what I, I like to share with this when, when we're talking about this is it's not a question of whether we value that or not. It's not a question of value because if we ask everyone that's listening to this call, we say, hey, do, do you value the, the important traits like leadership and teamwork and, and accountability that a, a young athlete, any athlete, learns through their involvement with sport? Every single one of us would raise our hand and say, yeah, I value that. We want that. When we survey parents, they say, hey, what are the top reasons you want your child to participate in sport? And they say, because I want them to learn to become a better leader, a better teammate, and, and to learn a concept of sportsmanship and servant leadership. That's always at the top of the list for parents. And it's always at the top of the list for us and stakeholders in the game. So the question becomes, so it's, if it's something we value, then it's not a question of value. It's a question of intention. So we have to be intentional about teaching those aspects and learning for teachable moments within the context of practice and games. So when a child, when our young athletes develop or, or exhibit leadership skills, we, we point that out. We say, that's great. You know, that's, that's an example right there of what we're talking about. We are focusing on leadership this week or, you know, and look for those teachable moments. Look for opportunities to instill those traits that we value so much. So that's what we mean by, by whole person development, that we truly embrace, not just value it, but embrace the importance of intentionally teaching character development and athlete wellness. And then, and then let me throw in there at the same time, athleticism that we'll, and we'll talk a little bit about that in pillar too, but that we aren't just embracing the responsibilities to develop the football player, but we develop the whole person, the whole athlete, because we know that on the success journey for them to want to engage with the game fully and to stay involved in the game, we have to do a good job of making sure that we, we meet them where they're at, not just physically, not just from a football perspective, but cognitively and emotionally. We need to do it in a way that meets them where they're at developmentally. Because you know as well as I do, Keith, that coaching a seven-year-old is way different than coaching a 14-year-old. And we need to give coaches the support and the information resources necessary to do that effectively. Mike, I couldn't agree with you more on all of those things, really developing the whole athlete. And when we talk to guys at the upper level, you know, NFL, FBS coaches, they're still working hard on that part of it as well. So, you know, if they have to work with guys who have come through the, their whole lives playing football and they're still continuing to develop the whole athlete, we certainly better be paying attention to that at, at such a time when there is so much for these kids to be able to plug into and to develop themselves and, and use the vehicle of football to do all those kinds of things. Yeah, it's, it's a huge platform that we have, you know, and, and it's, it's maybe, and I, I would argue that it's the best platform that's available to us as, as leaders of, and influencers in the lives of these young athletes. Sport gives us some unique opportunities to teach concepts, of, you know, like I said, of leadership, teamwork, accountability, those kinds of things. Sport gives us that platform better than anything else. And so we need to embrace it. And again, the challenge isn't so much that we don't think it's important. That's not the challenge. We just have to embrace it as fully in terms of application and intention. We've got to, we've got to make it intentional. And that's one of the things we've really tried to do through the football development model is to provide coaches with the resources and the support and the direction that I, because a lot of questions we get are, well, yeah, I really think it's important, but how do I do it when I get on the practice field? And, and, and I know t speaking with coaches and being around coaches and being one my entire life that, 
practice time is gold, man, you know, and, and you, you got to be, we've got to find ways to integrate this type of skill into practice when we are so committed to making sure we teach the X's and O's because it's hugely important and we just have to embrace it equally with the same amount of passion. In looking at that, you know, the USA football platform that we've put together, how are we able to do that? What's the best part of, you know, the football development model and the resources we have available for whole person development? Yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to coach education and training especially, but we have worked with a really great group out of Colorado Springs associated with the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency called True Sport. And we've worked with True Sport on developing resources that are geared toward helping coaches and supporting coaches when we find ways, coaches and parents, I, I mean, make sure that we include parents on that, but ways to reinforce the message of character development and how do we teach things like leaderships. We give a lot of support resources in terms of things like chalk talks and what questions can you be asking at practice at the start of practice and at the end of practice, thematic ways to say, hey, this month we're going to be talking about hydration and nutrition because it's such an important aspect of athlete wellness. So we give resources to coaches and parents that will allow them to share this kind of information and identify the topic areas with their players, with their children, and support each other in this venture too. So that uh, you know if a coach is doing this on the field and we're saying, hey, this week we're talking about teamwork and we're going to look for moments and teachable moments when great teamwork's exhibited. And then when they get home and the parent can support that and say, hey, what'd you learn about teamwork today? It just helps us to embrace it, like I said, and be intentional because the challenge usually is in the application piece. And so we've worked hard to provide those kinds of, of supports and resources to coaches and parents that can help them send this message and help us develop that side of the whole child. And the other part of this is the multi-sport development. I can't tell you how many coaches I've talked to, hundreds of them, who really believe in having athletes develop, not just in football, but in doing some other sports. And you hear this from, you know, guys at the top level looking at, you know, an athlete who's, who's going to be recruited as a five-star. And what else has this guy done? What other things can we look at for his athleticism? And that even going into the highest levels where you see on draft day, you know, you always see the stat of how many of these guys in high school played multiple sports or two-sport, even three-sport athletes. And that's a big part of the first pillar here as well. That's exactly right. And I think, and this stems directly from those universal principles from the United States Olympic Paralympic Committee that we talked about earlier. One of those immediate and direct universal principles was to encourage multi-activity, multi-sport participation for the exact reasons you just mentioned, Keith, that we want to develop. And that helps us develop the whole athlete and to learn those skills, not just, uh, not just specific skills. It helps us prevent overuse injuries and burnout. And so as a young man or a young woman is playing and getting involved with our sport, we want to keep them involved and, and we want to make sure that, but we also give them time to experience other activities, other participation opportunities that can help them grow as a human being and an athlete. Because at the end of the day, if they stay involved in football, it's going to make them better as a player. That those, these are the type of players, like you mentioned, they're just more successful as athletes. And so we wanted to make sure that we create and develop that kind of a foundation. So the second pillar is physical literacy and progressive skill development. And for maybe our non-coach or non-athletic professional, what is physical literacy? 
Yeah, great question. It's, it's really about how the body moves. So it's understanding how, how does my body move in space? How do, I, how do I know basic foundational movements? A lot of times we refer to them as the ABCs of athleticism, agility, balance, coordination, speed, strength, stamina, some of those things that make those foundational traits that make us a good athlete. Understanding and having an appreciation for, but knowing how your body reacts within the the concept of that basic foundational movement idea. That is physical literacy. It's understanding those basic foundational movements. So, and, and learning them in a way that's, again, developmentally appropriate. So knowing what we can expect from a six, seven, eight-year-old in terms of their physical development, you know, they, can they balance on one leg and reach over and touch the ground? Can they jump and land with deceleration mechanics? And think about a, a five, six-year-old running in space. One of the things developmental when they're running with a group of other kids, the ability just not to bump into someone else, you know, run in space without and understanding where my body is, kinesthetic awareness, you know, that awareness of where's my body in relation to another person or in space or in a different orientation. That's physical literacy. And it's very simple. It's things at early ages like hopping, skipping, jumping, running, rolling, all these basic fundamental skills that even as we progress, that the skill, the foundational skill is the same, but the, the core of the skill, the technique gets a little bit more advanced. And so if you see an Olympic runner, for instance, they're still doing basic movements to help with their running form that we can teach at early ages and such. So it's learning those basic foundational movements. Another big part of this really is the long-term athlete development approach. And looking at that, the LTAD, why is it important and even better for the athlete? It's a great question. And again, back to the USOPC, it was based, this is one of the long-term or the principles that it was based, that this model is based in is long-term athlete development. And the idea here, Keith, is just that we, we meet the athlete where they're at developmentally. It's the right skill at the right age at the right time. And so we're not asking a young athlete to do something that they can't physically or from a maturation perspective that they can't handle. So the athlete load, what we're asking them to do and where are they at again with those basic foundational movements that we're preparing them for a success journey through our sport that will engage them and help them want to stay and be involved. We're not asking them to do something that they can't physically handle. So by long-term athlete development, what we mean is engaging that athlete where they're at at that right developmental stage so that they develop in a, such a way that it makes sense for them where they're at and as they progress through our sport. I know for me, one of the things I really enjoyed being a part of and taking a look at as we put this together was the fundamental skills and the progression of skills. How do fundamental skills provide the foundation for this model? It's like you, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the model. And, and I think because like what I said earlier, you know, if we've both been around coaching for a long time and, and many of, you, our, of our listeners have, but coaching someone that's developing for the first time learning a sport. So you take someone that's six, seven years old, and, and it's so different from coaching someone who's 13 or 14 years old. It, it just is. So doing what's right at the right stage at the right time, right skill at the right time. So for instance, when I'm teaching a six and seven-year-old how to throw, I don't need to worry about things like three-step drops and, and snap, catch, and throw. And, and you know, the, the reality is I'm just trying to work out making sure they're stepping with their 
their opposite foot, getting their front shoulder pointed at their target, and being able to use a full, smooth overhand throwing motion. And, and so what we've done in this model basically is break down all of those technical skills like passing, catching, running, receiving, kicking, punting, and we've broken those skills down into what we call skill elements. And we identify what those elements are. For So for like passing, the skill of passing, whether you're five or whether you're 25 and you're getting paid professionally to throw a football, those skill elements are the same. That, and we, we identify those skill elements as pre-pass position, posture, throwing mechanics, and finish. Those are the four skill elements involved with a throw. So what we've done on our team, working with subject matter experts like the great coaches at the quarterback collective, we have broken down that skill into what is developmentally appropriate. So at six, seven years old, in pre-pass position, what I'm worried about is how you grip the ball and how your feet are positioned. So grip and base. That's all I'm worried about in pre-pass position at that first stage of development. By the time that athlete is 13, 14 years old, I have added a whole bunch of new, what we call key performance indicators, which tell me here's what that athlete should be learning in that skill element. So by the time you're 13, 14 in pre-pass position, it's still very important that I know grip and base, but now I'm adding in things like footwork and drops and making sure that I can now I can add in things like a three-step drop, a five-step drop, a drill like snap, catch, throw, some of those types of things. So it's really just a developmental progression on how we teach the game. And we do that with all the technical skills. Yeah, I, I really love this part of it, Mike. And, you know, I think a quick story here that really points out the importance of this. Back when I first started coaching, and, and this was when I was still in college and I had a knee injury, so I started coaching youth football right down the road from the college. And we had a kid there who, you know, when you look at kids, you certainly say, oh, well, this kid's going to be a lineman or this kid looks like he'll be a receiver. And, you know, it's funny at the, the young ages, we try to project what they're going to be down the line. Well, you know, when we first got there and started working with that program, a lot of the coaches who had been there said, oh, this kid, nah, he's going to be huge. He's a lineman. And, you know, but we still focused on that time without anything like the football development model, trying to develop all these skills within all these kids. And what we saw in him is, wow, this kid can really throw the football. And he, wow, he really has some physical literacy in being able to run with the football too, even though right now he looks like an offensive lineman. The kid ended up being an All-American in high school. He went on to play Boston College. He had a cup of coffee in the NFL. And all of that because, you know, we, you know, fortunately at that time without any of these resources or guidance saw that we can't pigeonhole a kid at this age. It's about developing the skill of the whole athlete. That stuff will sort itself out later. And, and I think that's what we're looking at and something we're looking at progressive skills taught this way that allow that kid who maybe right now doesn't exactly look the part to develop into something later. So true. We, you know, we, we just don't know what these athletes are going to look like in a few years. Their bodies are changing so fast and they're, and they're growing and they're changing and they're going to have a different skill set. Like you said, the worst thing we could do, and this is why this goes back to your question about long-term athlete development. What a disservice we would do to that athlete that you've identified, you know, that you'd mentioned if, if he or she was identified at nine or 10 years old, that you're alignment and all you're going to be is alignment and then, and, and never learns how to throw and never learns that, that important skill of throwing a football. Now, we realize, you know, that there's probably, if you're that age and you're a little bit huskier, you're going to be on the line maybe more. 
then you wouldn't be. But that's why position sampling is such a, a crucial piece of this because we still need to develop that athlete. And, and we're doing them a disservice if we get pigeonhole them and just identify a specific position for them at that early stage of development. Because the truth is we don't know what they're going to grow into and what they're going to become. We need to develop, again, that success pathway, human, athlete, football player. You just defined it very well. And as we get into this series, the Football for All podcast, we're definitely going to talk about things like position sampling and how those are a part of this as well. I'm excited to get into some of those things as we progress through this series. So the next part here is is broad, but very, very important to this model, and it's coach education and training. Mike, why is this so important for us in this progression? Well, Keith, I'll tell you, of all the pillars that our team came up with, that our organization came up with, this is the one that stands out to me. And I know just in full transparency, it's kind of my passion area. But here's what I really believe about the coach education and training piece. And that is, it, I love that it's in the middle of our pillars. And when you think of pillars of pillars, I guess, it's the hub of the wheel. If, and here's the way I, I think about this. If we don't, if we as a stakeholder group and leaders in this game, if we don't do a great job of educating our coaches and making sure that our coaches have the support and the resources and the knowledge where they are comfortable and confident when they hit the field in terms of developing our athletes, this whole model is going to be a great theoretical document. It's going to be really what something that sounds great in theory, but it's brought to life in application when every day that a coach hits the field and blows their whistle on those young athletes or high school athletes when they run up and grab a knee. That's where it comes to life. So if we don't do a great job of educating our coaches and finding a way to align their education and certification with this model, it's going to struggle to take hold. So of all the pillars, I look at this one and I think this is the one we obviously want to get them all right, but this is one where we've got to embrace the responsibility we have to provide this, the support and resources to coaches. Because if, if we don't, if we miss on this one, if we miss on this pillar, the model's going to struggle. We just, we, they're so valuable. We talked about that important platform that coaches have earlier. And it's so true, but we, as the stakeholders in the game have to provide all of our, awesome coaches, the, the moms and dads that hit the field every day and, and at the youth level, they're just out there. They don't have a, a strong coaching background or a strong pedagogical background in many instances. They're out there to help their son or daughter's team, and they're really trying to help out, but we need to provide them the education and resources. And then for those veteran coaches that have been doing this a long time and have that strong coaching background, we need to continue to challenge them and, and provide them the support and resources they need to help mentor other coaches, as well as provide that kind of support and development for their team. So it's a huge, important pillar, Keith. Yeah, absolutely. This is critical in our mission to advance and grow the game. You know, you have to take your hat off to all those those parents, those moms and dads, or those people in the community who volunteer their time. I don't know of very many youth coaches who get any kind of compensation to coach. They're volunteering their time, and yet at, at the same time, the, the resources traditionally that we've given them to go out and do it, you know, have, have been pretty sparse. And this is one area where I agree with you. This is a hub of what we're doing. And as I look at and thinking back to my experiences as a high school coach in starting a youth football program in our community, I think one of the biggest challenges was how was I going to educate all these these people who were willing to give their time to coach these these young people. And for me, I look at it this way is is a coach right now I'd be so grateful to have 
this kind of a resource, this kind of a model, which really takes the heavy lift off of me. Because at the end of the day, I'm still very concerned about what's happening week to week in my program. It's not like youth football is happening at a separate time of the season where I have a lot of time to devote to exactly what's going on in my flag football or youth football or rookie tackle or whatever it might be. I still need at some point to be able to turn it over to to people to take care of this. And the education part, which we provide here in the football development model, I think allows that and allows the heavy lift to be taken off of the high school coach. Yeah, Keith, you're exactly right. You said it very well there. And it's a matter of, and, and like I mentioned with the player progression guide, you know, with when we break those skill elements down, the one thing I really like about the, what we did with this and, the, and what the team did was we not only identified the skill element and the key performance indicator, but we identified drills and activities that support the teaching of that. So if you're coming in and you, you have never taught someone how to throw a football, or, or you're, maybe you're, you have, and you're, you're developing a young quarterback at a certain age, the reality is there's going to be things in here that support what you're doing and give you that kind of guidance. Even to the point where we've created scripted practice plans that brand new coaches that have never coached before could use and just implement that include things like a dynamic warm-up and athletic foundations development and individual core skill development. Or if you're a veteran coach and you say, hey, I've got an idea of what I'm running here, but I could really use that scripted practice plan to kind of give me a format of what I'd like to follow and and I can put my stuff and, and plug my stuff in here. So again, it is really truly about adding that kind of support. And and then lastly, Keith, I wanted to make sure I talked about our, our Coach 101 course that is new as part of our certification. And that is that, again, not just embracing that importance of the X's and O's, but that we really challenge coaches to grow within themselves and become the best coach that they can become. And looking at why do they want to do this? Why do you coach? And why do you coach that way? And and how are you going to know if you're successful or not? And we've really adopted the the importance of that as well. And that's a big piece of our new certification. It's really that idea of how do you become a transformational coach, meaning that years down the road, that young person who you coached is going to remember you for what you did for them as a person. They might not remember the plays or what happened in the game, but they're going to identify you as their coach as somebody who really made a difference in helping them grow and develop, not just in this game, but in life. No question about it. So moving on from here, Mike, and this is another fun one, one we will dig into in detail, but I think we can at least give an overview here, this pillar of multiple pathways and entry points. Talk to us about why this is important in this model as well. And again, thinking back to just for me, what was available when I played, you know, what, geez, 40 years ago, there was no flag football in my community. In fourth grade, you could play 11-man tackle football. And I could tell you, I went out that first time and my dad was a high school coach and it was pretty daunting for me. You know, I went away from it, not wanting to play football. Now I grew into it because I love the game. But, you know, we have so many of those stories where a kid has to enter in just one area and it really maybe isn't the time for him to do that. So talk about the importance of multiple pathways and entry points. Well, it's, it's really an exciting pillar. And if you think about that, it's really, truly the namesake of this exact podcast, because the approach to what we're talking about is really football for all, that we want to provide an opportunity and an engagement possibility for any athlete that's interested in playing our sport. And that can look different for many kids. And right now, 
you know, we know that the challenges are different across the landscape of football, especially and regionally, they're different. So two things, you know, we talked about this being a main bucket of the FDM, of the football development model. And what we mean by that is the game pathways, the multiple entry points and options that can be provided for two specific reasons. One, because we do want to provide football for all. We want it to be an entry point opportunity for wherever that athlete is and help them to become comfortable and really to learn to engage with our sport. And then secondly, we really feel that we can teach the game effectively through these game pathways and progressions. Now, what we have to embrace and realize is this can look different in different communities across the country. It might be a flag program that works into a modified game like rookie tackle and then to the full field senior tackle game. It might be that your community doesn't have the means to have flag football, but they want to start with a limited contact version of the modified game with something like tackle bar or or padded flag football and then going into a modified version of the game before they hit senior tackle. You have to make it work for what you have going on in your community. But the bottom line is this. So we really want to make sure that we provide those opportunities for them to engage wherever they're at and meet the athlete where they are. So Keith, the the bottom line is this. We want to make sure that we're providing the opportunities for kids to participate in whatever game type works for them. And that's going to look different based on the needs of the different communities. But what we really want to do is make sure that they have the opportunity to play, Keith. And the the thing that I'd like to to ask is, can you imagine, we talked just a minute ago in, in terms of how do we know if we're going to be successful? So if we use this metric, if we say, you know, if the only the only metric we use to determine our success was if a, if a kid came back and played the following year, that if nothing else really mattered, but one way that we measured our success was did that kiddo come back and play in our program a year later? And that's how we measured our success. Think about how that might drive our decisions and the way that we approach teaching the game. That's what the football development model is intended to do is use that as the ultimate metric, get them involved, increase our participation and help retain them in the game. And that's what we're looking to do through this model. The fifth pillar is making the game fun and fulfilling. And I said this la- that last part I think is really fun in thinking about the different game types. But overall, we want kids to walk away with a positive experience. We want the adults to walk away with a positive experience that this game is fun and fulfilling. Absolutely. And and the last two pillars really go together because we think without one, you can't have yet. We can't increase participation. We can't increase retention if we aren't making the game fun and engaging. And the reason that is because the number one reason that kids play our game, play our sport, is to be with their friends and to have fun. So we can't miss that one as adult stakeholders in the game. Now, I want to make sure we don't confuse that with saying, well, then does that just mean that I need to make practice and games make it like a carnival atmosphere and, and people just come in and there's no real work getting done? Absolutely doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is that we need to find ways to engage that athlete where they're at and do make it an engaging and fun experience. Again, practice for a six and seven-year-old is going to look different than it does for a 13, 14-year-old. So we need to find ways to make it engaging. We provide that kind of support to coaches and parents to do that. But here's what I'd like to take, Keith, in regards to this pillar. And that is, can you imagine for a second, a landscape of youth and high school football where we prioritized instilling a love for the game of football before we prioritize teaching the sport. Again, not that teaching the sport's not important. It's obviously we embrace, we do a great job of that. But before we prioritize that, we have to prioritize instilling a love for the game. So we talk about it, making it fun and engaging to increase participation retention. That's what we're talking about. Help them fall in love with the game. Keep in mind that as they progress, they may not play football even into their teen years, but they may become a mom or a dad that has a child that wants to play in the future. They might become a league administrator or a coach as an adult. 
They might just become a and stay a fan of football. But the bottom line, we need to make them and help them fall in love with this game and give them a great experience so that they stay engaged for a lifetime. And you've already talked about pillar number six, participation and retention. Ultimately, we do want to advance and grow this game. We've seen the numbers take a little bit of a dip here over the last few years for multiple reasons. But what we really want to see is that we continue to grow this sport as just a vehicle for developing athletes, for really bringing people together, all the things that people love about this game. And again, if I'm looking at this as the high school coach who needs those numbers in the youth programs to be able to have the success in his varsity programs, this is a very important pillar as well. Well said, Keith. And as you know, I come from a high school background, high school coaching, high school administration, athletic administration. You're exactly right. We, as, as a high school, we, we really do believe that the high school coaches have a very large role to play in the success of this model because your players, the players coming to your front door, are coming from these very involved and impactful youth programs. We have a great gratitude to pay to our youth football programs across the country. Getting these kids ready and getting them to fall in love with the game is benefiting our programs at the high school level. So an involved and active high school coach within this and supporting their youth programs is hugely, hugely important to the success of this model. And, and you know, Keith, you, you mentioned it earlier. These, Regardless of the game time, we talked about the multiple game types. We are talking about transferable skills. So getting involved and in providing those participation opportunities and looking at how can we develop. And one of the things I'm most proud of with this model and our team is most proud of is that what we teach in the progression really does build on itself. It is a set of blueprints, as we mentioned earlier, and these are transferable skills. So if you start and flag, how is that going to make you a more successful player in a limited game or limited contact game type? Or if you play a modified version of the game, how's that going to make you successful as you continue in your pathway, your journey, your success journey? So we really want to, we believe that all of the pillars will have a positive effect on participation and retention. And something, you know, obviously aligns with our organizational mission to advance, unify, and grow the game. And we're very committed to that. Mike, I appreciate you taking the time to share this great idea of the football development model and how we've reimagined the game. I'm excited to continue our work as we will continue to progress and build this out for our sport. Mike, thanks again for your leadership in this and taking the time today. Okay, thanks so much. And thanks again for everything that you do to help help get this message out to the youth leagues and the high school stakeholders that really want and desire to hear this kind of message. And you're doing great work and we sure appreciate all of you. Thank you for your interest and support in the football development model. We cannot create a stronger sport without you. Head to fdm.usafootball.com to get involved. We'll see you next time on the Football for All podcast.